Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Just like our last episode on in-season programming, this is another great discussion between our full-time strength and conditioning coaches here at Kentucky. We have Coach Ryan DeVrent, Coach Brennan McDonald, Coach Stephen Wood on the podcast today. Our main topic, like I mentioned, is in-season programming, but we are fielding questions from our young strength coaches on our staff. I'm there, I'm asking the questions, but a majority of the answers are coming from our other full-time strength coaches. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You guys did a great job with the first episode and that conversation you had amongst each other when talking through in-season programming, and it helped our coaching assistants out a lot to give them some general information on how they should and the things they need to be thinking through when they are programming, uh, coming up with an in-season program for a team of theirs. And they've got us some got, got some questions to us that are super specific. Um, some of them are related directly towards Wood or D or BMAC. Some of them are general, and then but some of them come back to their programming assignment that they have uh, this semester. And I'm going ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and jump right into the first question. And it says directly to Wood, how do you peak for the rifle team as they are leading up to a big competition? This is a great question, and the the real answer is I don't. Um, like when you think about like peaking, right? Think about the characteristics that you're trying to peak, right? Usually it's power and speed. Um, their sport is that's not one of their key performance indicators, power and speed, right? You need to be strong in order to stay injury free. Um, you know, obviously you need to be powerful to do the same things, but in their sport, that's not necessarily what is required. Um, so I we keep everything very consistent. You know, those, those athletes are very like in tuned with their bodies and the positions that they put their bodies in and really changing anything can really throw them off. I remember I had my second year with them. I had a real awakening, you know, we had a big match the week, some on a weekend, it was a home match. So they were training with me on Friday. We spent uh, like 30 minutes of that day, only just doing like a mobility session, you know, like loosening up, like, you know, almost like a recovery session you would think of for, you know, a regular student athlete. Well, what it turns out is the next day they all felt loose, right. And feeling loose in as a right flat is not a good thing. So um, when it comes to like what we do on like a meet weeks, like in season, we have a very, very consistent dose of stress so like Monday is always the same Wednesday is always the same and the day before their competition they always do the exact same thing so the short answer is I don't peak them I'd want to keep them as similar and consistent as possible leading up to their matches let me switch the question around a little bit and I'll throw it to BMAC and or D but specifically for our coaching assistance programming project they are programming for the sport of men's tennis for that sport specifically, kind of going off what Wood has talked about with rifle, which is completely different than what he would do with our track and field team, would you peak the tennis team? Is it just a taper and a deload? What are your thoughts with that going into a big match or a tennis program? Uh, for me, I treat it, they, they have a ton of games, um, like at the front end of you know, the spring semester and then the back end of the spring semester, and it's kind of scattered. 
Um, where with me, like working with baseball and softball, like you kind of have your set regimen um, where it's like Tuesday, you have a midweek and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I'm, I'm thinking like you, you're really not peaking for the group, you know, just because it's so scattered. It's not consistent. I think if you have consistency, I think you can set up a peak like for wood where, you know, he has track and they have minimal meets throughout the entire semester. Um, you can do that, you know, baseball, you can't because you, it's, it changes every week. You may go against a, a top five team on one week. And then the next week it may be, um, out of the top 25, but then you have three weeks in a row where you're going against two top 10 or three top 10 teams. Um, so for tennis, I, I don't think it's consistent enough to say that you can, you can peak them. I don't think you, I'm similar, but I do put peaking elements in towards the end of the season, which you're with your more important matches. So, you know, in the beginning, you do have to train through some of those. They'll have double headers. They're going to have a lot of matches, but even the coaches want you to push through them and say like, no, we need to, to train through this portion. And that's usually lift conditioning, everything. Um, they're still pushing as you get closer to SEC play. Um, I think your training should look different than it does the first four weeks when they're playing schools that aren't ranked, that they're not as much of a priority, that it matters the margin that we win by. Um, finally, when they get closer to the end of like SEC championships and they get through to NCAAs, your team's in that position, I'll put in peaking elements. So we are backing off in the weight room or on the court and agility things. We are doing some overspeed things. I'm still trying to prepare them to feel as good as they can for that tournament, but it's not a multi-peak season. Good, good. Question number two from Coach Brenton Jones. What are your thoughts behind programming specific versus general in season? I.e., do you try to reinforce what they are already doing or hit qualities they will not be getting from their sport? BMAC, I'll throw it to you. So I do think you need to generally get more specific. Um, I think it's Maslow's hierarchy of training, that pyramid where it's, you know, you should be doing your like competition specific exercises in season. That being said, I also think it kind of depends on the sport and the demands of the sport. So um, they're going to get as specific to their competition as they can in their practices, in their events. And so some of those things like, you know, you look at tennis, you look at golf, it is a lot of rotation. It is a lot of, of the same repetitive, repetitive movements over and over again. So in that way, I view the weight room needs to also help combat that and try to do the opposite thing to kind of train against the sport in a way. Um, I think it, I usually do like more of my power movements, like let's get a little bit more specific, you know, let's try to translate some things as we're going into training. But then a lot of my accessory movements are trying to fight everything that they're getting high doses of throughout their sport. What do you got, Dean? Uh so for me, it's kind of the same thing. I'm, I'm very, very specific. I'm not general when it comes to, you know, my baseball softball programs. Um, we're very, now take that back, like with softball, I'm very generic in the first month because they're traveling down south usually or out west um, to some warmer weather. So we have about four weeks there that it's very general because we're only getting one lift in per week. Once we get out of that like phase of them traveling just constantly to a Florida or an Arizona, um, I'll get a lot more specific. I get more specific, more based off of like how practices are going um, with, hey, what do we need to do to add in a little speed agility this week? Again, um, and that getting specific, like how much repetition are we getting in practice? Are we getting minimal? Okay, let's throw a little bit more in. Um, where baseball is, is totally different. Like I've got, you know, say 19 pitchers. Um, it's all very specific to each guy. 
with the seven day rotation. If you're a starting pitcher, reliever, um, my programming changes week, you know, every week throughout entire semester. Um, and then for like gymnastics, uh, for me, it's very general. Um, it's not very specific. It's, it's just injury prevention for them. Um, where we're not getting a ton of training in, we're going once a week. Um, so that's kind of where that general programming comes in for me. What do you got, Wood? Uh, just to kind of go off of all that, uh, I do get more specific, but like when thinking about track, my primary team, like those like sports specific things are very different, right? So like our movement, you know, we're always moving, you know, in the same planes, you know, our sport is running, right? So, um, like what gets specific for that group at that point is like the speed at which they move. So like we're squatting once a week for 52 weeks out of the year, right? Like that's going to happen. Like how we do it in season, we'll get more specific as we get closer to those meets, right? Where in the off season, we're working on force production, right? How strong can you get? Yeah. Like the sports, we would get specific with track and field by taking that force and translating it into power, right? By doing, specific derivatives of Olympic lifting and variations of squat, manipulating rest times uh, and loads and intensities, pairings, things like that. So we do get specific. It doesn't look like it though, like to the naked eye, if you came and watched one of our sessions. I like how you broke that down, Wood. That makes a ton of sense. And one question I wrote down, which I would want to follow up with Jones is like, what is he thinking about? Like, what is his thought with uh, specific versus general with the sport of tennis? Uh, but he, the next question is his as well. And thinking about the sport of tennis, is there anything you are specifically looking to avoid in season? I'll start with you, Wood. Uh, it, was, it was a good question. It made me think, like, I'm not necessarily sure if, like, I would say, like, I would never do this in season, right? I don't know if I can, like, put my name against that. Maybe, like, at a certain time of the year, in a certain situation, there may be. But what I would say is like one thing that I avoid is like rigidity to like what's on the paper. Whereas like off season, you know, with, with track and field, you know, we're, we're primary focusing on building that strength. Right. I, I know what they're doing on the track. I know what the coaches expect from them on the track. They're not moving very fast. So when they come in and they're like, Oh, we're sore. We had a hard workout. It's like, well, I know that it was like probably like loaded stuff, strength work or volume work. Right. So we don't have to run fast anytime soon. So I'll, okay, I feel good still pushing that, this squat workout, right? Whereas maybe even in season on an off week, it's like, hey, you know, I'll get a lot more feedback. Hey, what were you doing on the track? Like, what was the workout this week? Did you make any adjustments? Did you do extra reps? Um, you know, what are you feeling physically? And, and from there, I'll definitely certainly make adjustments more on like how the athlete's feeling in season um, rather than just like, you're supposed to be sore. Let's stick to the plan. Let's get strong. DB Mac, what are your thoughts? Um, I think you need to be very cognizant of their shoulders in season. So they're getting a lot of high rep rotations um, and a lot of deceleration in there. And so I always switch from like a barbell bench off season to a dumbbell bench in season. I think you could do a similar thing with push up, but just being aware of how many presses you're doing and what positions you're putting them in should change from in season to off season in my philosophy. I also think um, loading is a big thing for them. So there are some times where they're, you know, a guy's single match can last over three hours. Um, so when they're doing things on the court, I think that your training speed, I think you're trying to, to get the nervous system firing to be fast and reactive, but I don't think you, this is the time that you want to do a lot of, you know, 
high volume speed and agility drills or high volume change of direction. You're trying to get what you need to complement the sport and make sure they are playing their best, but this is a time that load should not be super high for either conditioning or speed and agility. Yeah, and to go off of that, I'm glad she brought that up, like on the softball end of things, um, Lawson is very big on our pitchers dumbbell benching when they get to in season um, to help with that shoulder recovery, just because the amount of throws that they're putting in, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, and then also we are taking like their clean out and moving that to hand clean to have a little less load on the lower back. Um, when it comes to our pitchers in baseball, um, we are doing more non-dominant side with like med ball routines than we are on the dominant side, just because of the amount of throws that they're getting in um, throughout a week. When it would, comes you to, would you recommend that for the sport of tennis? I would. Uh, I, I would because you're, you're normally, you, you do have a dominant side. Now they are working both sides with a forehand and a backhand. Um, but, you know, you are going to have your dominant side that you constantly filter to. So I think just watching how a player plays um, will tell you a lot. Um, and then also like, BMAC, she asked me the question the other day, like, hey, you know, have you ever had anybody with like some posterior shoulder um, pain? And I kind of described to her like, hey, what you're looking for in that, like when you're looking at not pain or soreness, you're looking at soreness of the scap, like when it comes to baseball, swim should be kind of the same thing. So that when you're looking at specific stuff like that, you don't want it to be on the upper end. Usually you want it to be more on the lower end. Um, and if you're looking at it from the front side, hopefully it's not a pain and it's a soreness. Um, so it was a really good point that she brought up about the dumbbell bench though, too. Two things that I wrote down that are, that can be specific to tennis, but then also apply to other sports is probably during in season. If I am doing some agility, some jumping, some conditioning, I'm not changing the surface that they're, um, running or jumping on a ton. So we're not going from the court to the turf field, to the track. And I would also avoid any, especially during the time where you would need them to feel and compete at their best, not throwing any new motor patterns at them. So if you haven't been doing, um, you know, a high box step up, probably not the time to throw that at them. Um, what you got, Big Mac? One thing I think to add to, and it's outside of what you'll cover in this programming project, but like there's a lot that you're putting in as a strength coach into tennis outside of what is just written on those two-day programs. So they should have like a pre and post-practice shoulder routine, pre and post-lift shoulder routine. They have a recovery after it. Those, I don't know what tennis is doing currently, not overseeing them, but um, when I had them, like that was a conversation I had with the athletic trainer. We sat down, we made sure that we knew, okay, I'll, I'm always there for post-match, so I will make sure they get that done. The trainer's gonna do it, you know, post, what, we had different routines that we set out, but all of that, like, it needs as much attention, maybe not quite as high, but a good amount as baseball gets with their shoulders. It's just not often as advertised for tennis. And you do the same thing with soccer, but it's more like hip and ankle and uh, hamstring health. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the next question from Coach Gress. How much influence does conversations with coaches and players on their workload at practice dictate the adjustments in volume and intensity of cord lifts? and whether or not you cut out accessories. D, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, really good question. Uh, for me, it's if they have that conversation, it's more uh, at staff meetings at the beginning of the week to kind of set that stuff aside. But then it comes down to like, if you're at practice, 
Um, and you see that the workload is higher than what the coaches thought it was, like you're going to probably make that adjustment on the fly for that day. And I do a ton of that. Um, but if you have a coach that it's like pretty set on this is the way that it's going to be for the entire week and you understand the workload and you know that that's how they do that, then I think you make those adjustments at the beginning of the week and you don't have to think about it on a day-to-day -day basis. But then you have the other spectrum where you're going by a day-to-day -day basis to make those changes with your program. Um, with the recovery. So I think that is um, the aspect where I roll into when I have the conversation with coaches is like, be, be a forward thinker. Tell me what, what you're thinking practice is going to look like so it can help my program. Again, like we're looking at injury prevention. Um, that's going to help us a ton on the injury prevention if you're telling me on the front end of things instead of telling me or me finding out that day. I would. I'm going to go to you next. Um, because your sport of track and field, especially with, you know, the sprinters is you should be able to know or get with the coaches and know, Hey, they're doing this amount of work this day. Mm -hmm. You often have conversations with them about, Hey, did you stick to that plan? Did you, did you go off in a different direction? Did something happen? And you had to switch to plan C kind of answer all that while you tackle Gress's question. Yeah. All the time. I mean, it's, with track and field, they're, they're super involved in what's going on in the weight room. And I think it's super awesome. But fortunately, the way like our, our facilities and what time they practice at, I can't get to a ton of practices, right? I've got a general idea of what each group is doing. Um, but I really, really rely on feedback from my coaches. I think it's Monday at one. I've spoke to every one of my coaches twice since Sunday at noon, right? About what's what they saw from the weekend, how we're going to move forward, if we're going to make any adjustments. We've had at least two conversations per coach to do that. Um, and I, I rely on them a lot with that because I'm not able to be at those practices. And in season, what we do is, you know, in the off season, the focus is the weight room, right? So like they'll make adjustments to the track based on how they're feeling from the weight room in season we flip it right so track is or the weight room is where we'll make adjustments and monitor and manage their volume right if they end up pushing them real hard at a practice um more than they think they would coach will call me that night and be like hey we threw the volume on them a little bit higher than we thought like what's the plan for the weight room tomorrow it's like well here's x y and z here's my thought let's pull out a little bit here let's pull this out or hey let's focus on just this or hey let's take this out right you know we're we're making adjustments to the NCAA track and field group. You know, we talked this morning about what he, what coach Hall saw at, at the meet at the SC championships over the last week. And we've made adjustments even from what we did two weeks leading into SECs. We're going to do something similar, but make an adjustment for the NCAA peak. What you got BMAC? So for me, it's quite a lot, uh, especially with soccer. They get a lot of, a lot of games are different. So there are some that are very, very physical games. There are a lot that are, it's much more tactical and they don't get quite as beat up. And even then in practice, like I am very lucky that the coaches have bought into me so far so that I know like they, they make sure we get at least one lift in season in the weight room. But that being said, it's not their priority. So they're, they might be slated to go for an hour at practice and then have an hour lift after that. But if they find they want to get something done, I'm the first thing to be modified. And being such a high load sport, like we do have to modify it a lot. So we have wellness that we have conversations regularly. We're in like six coaching groups um, texts where a lot of times I am cutting off accessories or I am trying to modify so that we aren't overloading the kids. 
And I'd say that happened a lot when I had tennis as well. The coaches are quite often like, that's not your priority at the time. They're like, man, we need to go lighter today. This happened now. I like it. One note I added is in that question, uh, Gress was talking about conversations with the coaches and players. And I think one key component you got to throw in there is your athletic trainers. So if you are talking to your head coaches, you're speaking to your student athletes. Um, typically the first person I'm going to, once I hear, you know, rumblings of whether a practice was harder than usual or lighter than usual is I'm going to the athletic trainer right after that. Moving on to a question from Coach Gibson. Are there certain movements or, or no, we already did that one. So sorry. Going on to a question from Coach Fang. Generally speaking, how do you adjust the program if, say, unexpected issues arise where the student athlete misses an entire week of strength and conditioning sessions? BMAC, let's start with you. Um, I don't think there's one black and white cookie cutter answer. Every situation is extremely different and you have to be able to read the situation and adapt to that as best as you can. So is this a week that we have a lot of games or matches coming up? Like right now with soccer, we have two matches this week. Like I'm not probably going to give them much volume at all. We're going to get them maybe one or two preventative exercises we need, and then we're going to move on. Is this a time that we have a week off and it's a bye week and we can push, then I, I'm going to find a time to make sure we can get it in. Maybe it's just that, the, like I said, coaches had a really hard practice, harder than expected. This happened two weeks ago. Then I'm going to cut off um, accessories, get what I need out of the main movement, and then anything that I don't absolutely need, I'm going to cut it out. So every single situation is different. Um, and that's kind of the art of coaching is that you have to be able to read that and see exactly what was the goal. That's why it's important to know what the goal is for that training cycle and that day as well. Of, okay, what do I actually need to hit and what don't I need to hit today? What do you think, D? Uh, that's a really good point. I mean, when you're, I mean, I don't really have anything new to add to that. Like, I think it does change with the individual a ton, so. I think if there's if somebody is out because let's say they got the flu and they were out for five days or even an injury, the key is to having a return to activity protocol put in place. So they're not just getting thrown right back into practice and going from zero, zero volume to 100%. Uh, same thing in the weight room as well. And it might be small adjustments that you have to make. Maybe they're only doing two sets on a certain accessory circuit or they don't um, get to a top percentage on, on a, on a main lift, but I think there, you have to have a plan for each athlete. What are your thoughts, Wood? Um, I mean, you're exactly right. I've, you know, luckily I don't think I've had a, a scenario or very little where seven days an entire team has been out, right. The close I can think of is spring break with track and field and I travel with them. So they are still able to lift, but I mean, you guys hit it on the, on the nose. That's the art of coaching, right? Like how, like what have they been doing? Where do you need to get them? And how are you going to bridge that gap with an unexpected, you know, scenario of having to miss? I, this the the sickness one is a good example, Spurlock. I like that. But yeah, you just have to, you just have to take on your experience, what you want them, what they've been doing, what you want to get them to, and you know, the safest way to get them back. Wood, I'm going to throw this question to you, and it's from Coach Drobis. During the season, are there particular markers or signs that you look for in knowing, like when knowing to adjust, both to push and to back off? The track, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll say this. One of the things goes back to, like, myself. I've Everything that I've ever asked my student-athletes to do, I've done, right? So I know what, like, I should feel 
or what my body should feel like, like after that, like in response to like a training stimulus. So, you know, I have an idea of what that is. And when we start to break away from that or other issues are coming up, that's when I start to really think, Hey, like, what are we doing? Like a lot of times it's the, you know, when we start to have some tightness in the hamstring with track and field, right. It's like, Hey, are we going to make an adjustment to that? When, when people say that their shins and Achilles are bothering them, that's something that we'll make an adjustment to um, in the way room. We'll avoid a lot of the stuff that aggravates it. Um, you know, we still need to get strong and build that strength so that we don't have those issues, but um, we'll avoid things that make it worse in season. You know, the biggest thing is that they're ready to run on match day. Right. So a lot of times it's, Hey, here's the general plan of how we're going to like build your strength throughout in season and power and, and peak. Right. But a lot, a lot of the accessory stuff is like, Hey, like this person's feeling their hamstrings, this person's feeling their Achilles. How do you individualize and how do you give them stuff to bridge that gap to get them to it? So Really, the hamstrings are a big one um, for track and field when they start to feel that tightness and tension and then uh, things in the shins and, and uh, Achilles. Hey, Mac, let's go to you next. So I'm fortunate because I have a lot of uh, open windows to internal load, having wellness, um, I mean, external load with GPS, but I think like even if you had a team that uses gym aware, like those are the, the benefits of using those those things. So with wellness, both teams doing it regularly, I have a really clear picture of exactly how they're feeling before I go into that lift. Um, and knowing programming loads for soccers and stuff, I know, again, how they should be feeling and the times that I can match up with pushing on the field or backing off on the field. So for me, it's quite objective as I go in there and see soreness is low, energy is high, like this is a time that we can push or Again, you know, I had uh, two weeks ago, everyone was super sore. We had a big increase in load. I saw that on catapult. I saw that on wellness. We're going to back off and not hit much. And our back off, um, and just from my in-season programming, let's just talk baseball because they're a lot more specific, is there's a, there's a peak and a back off when you're looking at a seven-day rotation is like you're peaking um, to get them ready for every Friday that they're starting or Saturday or Sunday or a midweek. Um, but then the back off is like you asking the questions the day, the next day, okay, what's our week going to have to look like? It may not be the same as week one or week two, and it's going to look a lot different when it comes to week 20, because they're trying to figure out their body throughout the season. Um, but as a team, um, I'm looking at it as like, okay, when we start to get, we've trained really, really hard for an entire season. Um, but then when you start to get to that competition, you know, where you're at SECs, um, trying to win a tournament championship. And then when you get to a regional championship or super regional or Omaha, um, you're, you're, you're backing off there. You've trained hard enough throughout that entire time that that's kind of where your peaking phase is to, to prep them to win championships. Awesome. Next question uh, from Strobus as well. And I'm going to modify it a little bit because I think we talked about the immediate answer last week. But the question is, have you ever utilized a pre-match session for peaking or preparedness for a meet or match same day let's if same day so throwers are thrown in the afternoon have you ever had them lift in the morning wood no BMAC, uh, B, have you ever had anything same day for your teams yeah i had a stint with tennis where we do a pre-match kind of med ball routine it lasts oh, really? half an hour um and it we were just kind of potentiating and, and trying to get light and fast before we go into it did you like that i did 
I think in a situation where you don't have limited hours, it's super ideal. But I think especially in season when more of that time is going to be spent on the court and the coaches are going to want to spend that time, like we ended up not keeping it just because we found they wanted to get their stuff in. Um, and we wanted to spend our time with me getting that conditioning, getting that lift session in. Gotcha. D, have you ever done anything same day? Uh, I have with some pitchers that kind of, you know, have their own plan. Uh, they like getting up and, and going to a weight room. Like if we're on the field or, or if we're at the field, we'll do something at the field. Or if we have access to the weight room, we'll come over to the weight room or even if we're away. Um, but one thing that I've seen, seen like just in the league, like before when we were having teams come in was like a lot of the teams in our league would come in and the entire team would lift on Friday, the day of game day. Um, and a lot of guys have had success with that. And I've asked them that question. They were, that's kind of a coach's preference, but like for me, I think it's more specific to the players instead of just making an entire team. Some players just don't want to do it. They get kind of worn down from it um, or some players need that, that phase of, you know, getting the body right before the competition in five, six hours. It might be different too. Like earlier in the year, it might be something that you do, but then as you're going through the grind of a baseball season, it's, yeah. that's got to wear on you and maybe yeah. the last thing you want to do um, leading up to a competition would I had cut you off. What were you going to, what were you going to say? <clears throat> I was just going to say that we've utilized it like a lot of like day before stuff, but never the day, the morning of, or, or the day of uh, our jumpers and our throwers, you know, our high, really like nervous system output athletes. We like to do a light and fast just to try to get them jumping, get their nervous system primed up. But we'll typically do that like 24 hours before, or, you know, maybe like 18, if it's, we'll do it the evening before and they'll come compete in midday, but ne nothing ever the day of it's, I'd rather have an athlete focused on, you know, what they need to accomplish in their sport rather than, Oh, I got to go to the weight room and do some clean pulls to potentiate my force output. I think the key with that is if it is something that you and your coaches have decided on, like you don't only throw it on your super important ones. You don't wait until you're halfway through the season or, you know, towards SEC NCAA play and they'd be like, let's do a priming session. Like it needs to be like D said, guys feel different with that. You, you try it out in the beginning and, and make sure that they're used to it before your main competitions. Yeah, that's a great point, BMAC. And to that, I mean, so we, our jumpers have kind of like their pre-meet peak thing they do. Um, you know, and they're off weeks, they'll do that too. So, you know, that's part of their recovery day. They'll do their like kind of high nervous system output, like nervous system priming stuff. And then they'll go into like a recovery circuit. So that was a really good point. All great points by everybody. Last question is something that uh, came to us just a half hour ago when we were having our staff meeting. So specifically for our coaching assistants, they are doing an in-season program for the sport of men's tennis. They've programmed their first cycle, the first four weeks, and then as they get into their second cycle, there is a three-week gap where there are no competitions for the tennis team that they are programming for. Um, one wrinkle we were talking about throwing at them, and it happens all the time in, in real life, where a sport coach will come up to you and say, hey, we're not where we need to be in terms of our fitness or conditioning or uh, our first step quickness or strength. They always like to throw those things at you once you get rolling with the actual season. Um, so what are your thoughts? And D, I'll start with you. If uh, a coach, and you can be specific to the sport of tennis, what you would do, or maybe what you've done with your own teams. If a coach comes to you 
and says, hey, my team is still lacking in this. We got some dead time where we are not competing at all. How would you attack that? Um, personally, like I've had this in the past and I don't like it. I, I have my plan that I've put together um, personally for the semester and I like sticking to it. Now, I, when you look ahead and, and if you are looking ahead at your program, that's something you have to think about. Like, okay, do I want to throw a little bit more in in those three weeks that they're not doing anything? You're probably going to do it. Um, but you, I think that if you all of a sudden throw in a ton more conditioning during that time in those three weeks and they may have a week to recover and you've jacked them up so much um, from changing it up uh, dramatically. Like I think that if you, if those coaches are coming to and you as a strength coach make that dramatic change um, that falls on you. And I feel like that's your fault as the strength coach of like not standing up for yourself and standing up for your program of what you designed. Um, but it's, it's not, it's a tough conversation because coaches just like they'll look at somebody and they're not happy with it, but it's let's look at the overall picture. Is their nutrition really, really good? Um, is it been something that's been building up? As they, have they not played at all? Have you looked at the, the load that they've had during games? Are they a person that's sitting on the bench that you thought that was going to play all the time? Um, you got to look at all aspects, and those are the things you have to bring up as a strength coach. I think, think – well, let me add this real quick because I, I think that's a super great point by D. And a lot of the times the coach – and you guys correct me if I'm wrong – the coaches never come with – I should say never. They rarely ever come with actual data that supports their claim. It's usually the eye test, like so-and-so does not look like they're in shape. So going back to these point, you being able to back up your program and having those metrics, whether it's their results from the, the fitness test, um, be able to have that and defend your program, I think is key. What were you going to add, BMAC? That's exactly what I was going to say, because I get a lot of coaches that they'll use the term fitness or it's conditioning, but they'll keep throwing it out that like this person's not fit. And it's like, but what are you going off of? Because we did pass this. We did go off of this. So I think that's your first question is don't get caught up in them asking. You have to take a second and be like, is this actually the case? Um, on top of that, though, I think like let's say you have the conversation. They have patented, but the coaches have some legitimate concerns where they, you know, they want to push a little bit harder in those weeks. I I think that you do need to have some very clear conversations with them, but I also think there are some situations where if you don't add some conditioning in, the coach will. And I would rather do it in a safe way uh, and in a programmed way that matches up with what you're programming than necessarily have practice last another hour. So I think hear out the coach, understand what exactly they're looking for to improve, and then have those realistic conversations. And then you, as the professional, add in the appropriate amount that you think. And maybe because it's in season, that's a low impact conditioning. Maybe it's that they're just doing a couple more drills and you justify that it's conditioning, but that's where you kind of tweak, maybe not rewrite your program. You tweak to make the coach happier in a safe way. I think the younger too, I think the younger that you are as a strength coach, um, that's going to be more of a challenge because you haven't really been through it. But the more years that you put under your belt as a strength coach and just kind of a veteran, um, that's something that if you know your coaches really, really well, that's something that you're thinking uh, ahead of time and maybe putting into your plan. And then when it comes to that time and they bring it up, it's like, Hey, I had this plan. This is my plan. A, this is my plan B. I was kind of wanting to get your opinion. Um, but it comes down to your judgment of where you think the team needs to go with everything. All great points. Wood, is there anything you would like to add? To I mean, yeah, I, I could give us, I'll get, I can kind of walk through an example that, you know, of this, cause I'm doing it right now. So 
you know, both what you said is right, but it's also, you know, making sure that you're looking at all the evidence and that you're reflecting and, and, and coming up with a good plan together, right? So we're transitioning from indoor to outdoor for track and field, right? Um, you know, SECs was two days ago. We have two weeks before nationals, which we have just a small group of people that are qualified for. It's a little different than outdoor. And then we move into outdoor season, right, which is similar to a new season. We reflected and we sat down, me, myself and Coach Green with his group specifically, we we're like, hey, these were some things that came up indoor season. Now we need to address these for outdoor season, right? What are we going to do? And it's like, hey, he knows that, you know, we try to push a little bit of strength work between those two times, right? There's like two and a half to three weeks where they don't have any meets. But what he told me was he goes, listen, I want six weeks. I want, to, I'm going to give you six weeks to really push them, Right. Um, I want them as strong as you can make them, right? He's not telling me how to do it, what to do. He's like, I need them as strong as you can. He's like, if they don't run fast during those six weeks, I don't care. So that's the conversation that we're having, right? We're, we have a really good relationship to talk through that stuff. He's like, I need them as strong as possible, right? Uh, here's six weeks to do it. I don't care if they run slow, you know, let's make it happen, right? So I think that's a good example of how it can be done appropriately, right? He's not telling me I need to do more, more vol you're not telling me you need to do more percentages at 80 percent or more reps at 80 he's not x and o and you know going into that he's like hey we need to get stronger i agree with him you know here's six weeks rather than three to push them if they don't run fast that's okay and i think that that's a really good way to like hey we reflected on something that we're seeing we're making in a real-time adjustment um and we're going to like be on the same page and allocate the time and resources to do so wonderful Awesome conversation, guys. Like we said at the beginning, these were all questions that came from our young strength coaches based off the first episode. They're going to listen to this episode as well. We might have some more questions that pop up, but if you have any comments, any questions for us, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email address is ukstrength at uky.edu. D, B, Mac Wood, thanks for, thanks for talking. Thanks for putting some thought into these questions. and. Um, making it uh, just another great episode. Go Cats. Go Cats. Go Cats.